At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, January 22nd, 2024 edition. And the fourth week of the year has now started. It was a, it was a green week. Uh, a lot of a lot of positive sentiment uh, continues to be out there post op x week so i think it will be an interesting week as we get closer inch closer to that uh, fed announcement next week uh and that's going to be exciting but what's even more exciting is we have luke guerrero back with us luke how was the snow uh it was a lot heavier than i thought it would be but i think anytime i leave a ski trip uninjured it's a positive that is a positive. I've I've seen some videos of you, and um, let's just say you're a daredevil. I tend to be. Some would say I am not risk averse. Not risk averse on the mountain. Maybe maybe in your investment world, but not on the mountain. That's for sure. Well, I'm Justin Klein with Luke Guerrero, and our goal here is to help you navigate navigate uh, the investment world. Luke successfully navigated the uh, was it Mammoth Mountain? You're in Mammoth, right? Mammoth Mountain. That's correct. There you go. Uh, and uh, our goal is to, to help you uh, just unpack everything that is happening in the market today and uh, try to apply some lessons, help you apply some lessons to your own personal financial situation. And we do that by answering your finance and investment questions with our unbiased perspective developed with over 20 plus years of investment experience. Now, we're going to run down the market performance for today as well as the show topics, but we're going to hit our first caller question now. I have a question about Eastman Chemical Company, EMN. was wondering if this is a good entry. Um, looking forward to hearing your answer. Thank you so much for what you guys do. Have a great day. All right. Looking at Eastman Chemical Company, we actually own this for some of our managed accounts. So we obviously like it. Earnings this year are expected to go up 23% after uh, a bit of a dip last year. And they have a solid balance sheet, good long-term profitability. Right now, we have uh, return equity right around 11%, but longer-term averages are typically closer to uh, the 20% level. Uh, so we like that free cash flow right now at about $520 million. Um, enterprise value to EBITDA looking forward is only about eight times and a nice 3.7% dividend yield. Uh, so, you know, it's a, it's, it's an, in a space where that we're coming, we're, we're reaccelerating. We had a lot of the chemical companies make a ton of money in 2020, especially 2021 when everybody and their mother were buying things, products because they didn't go out and spend. Uh, because a lot of things were were limited and shut down, uh, and so that boosted 
a lot of the chemical companies' earnings, like Eastman, they made $8.85 in 2021, and that's been slowing since, but now you're, like I said, getting a reacceleration up 23% in expected earnings this year. So uh, I, I, we still like it, Luke. Anything to add there? No, I think you you nailed it there. They've had some consistent profitability, some consistent cash flows. They've had quite the run-up over the past three, three, four months, um, mm-hmm. but there's a reason why we hold it for for some of our managed accounts, and uh, I, I like it. Yeah, and return the relative strength about 68, so uh, it's not the strongest performer out there, but definitely in the upper, you know, top uh, near the top quartile. So we really like Eastman Chemical. Now we have a lot of ground to cover over the next 40 minutes or so, and our main focus point concerns this topic about mean reversion. And I think this is a good topic to go over because it's really going to help you understand why chasing performance over you know, a three to five year period is typically not the best way to go. Now it doesn't always have to mean revert, but basically what it's saying is the performance of any particular asset class over the past three to five years is probably going to be unlike the next three to five years. So we're going to dig into the details there. Also, the the market is back in at new highs. And what does that mean? We're in bull market territory. And what is the expected return or the average return of the market 12 months past a new high in the last 12 months, right? So where you haven't had a high in 12 months and then at least 12 months and then you hit a new high. What does that tell us about the market that we are in? Also, the consumer. Consumer defaults are rising, but the devil's in the details. So we'll get into the details there as well. And then lastly, there's a lot of people chasing high-yield savings accounts, but not everybody actually gets the listed rate. So we're going to dig into that story as well. We also have some voice bank questions. One is in regards to internal rate of return as well as ICE, Intercontinental Exchange. And we also have a perspective segment that concerns the new Department of Labor classification that could disrupt the U.S. gig economy. Now, Luke, let's talk about the market performance today. We closed last week at new fresh all-time highs in the S&P, and we followed through today with some strength. Now, interesting enough, remember the S&P is large caps. Today, large caps were... Kind of meager. They had a meager day. Small caps definitely outperformed up a 1.4% on the day. Anything else you, you see on that front? No, I think that's the big the big thing to note is the power of small caps today in, in boosting the market overall. You know, I just think there, there wasn't really much in terms of news today. Um, towards the end of last week, you saw a shift in the opinion of uh, when the first rate cut would be. So now uh, the market opinion is that March will not be the first rate cut. Uh, just barely, which is just interesting to note in that now, now given that we've been making some some new highs over the past two trading sessions, there doesn't seem to be any shift um, in in that given the market perception about rate cuts in March. But I think you mentioned at the top of the show overall, we're just going to await and see the next Fed meeting and uh, what, what that brings us for the rest of Q1. Yeah, it you know throughout the first few weeks of this year, you've definitely seen economic data come in plenty healthy. You've had initial jobless claims now below 200,000. Uh, and, and it's not my favorite 
number to look at. I like to look at continuous claims and that's been improving as well. It was uh, approaching 2 million and now it's now in a downtrend. So uh, pretty interesting to see that those that are unemployed are, are getting back getting jobs, getting hired. Um, and so I think those are, are better numbers to look at, look at. And so the fact that the consumer remains relatively healthy, the job market remains relatively healthy. Yes, inflation is coming down. But until you see a, uh, a, a, even a little bit of crack uh, in the, the labor market, I don't think the Fed has much impetus to to cut. And so I think that, uh, as, we, as we said, going into this year, the market kind of got ahead of itself in uh, pricing in those rate cuts. And now that's starting to price out those rate cuts a, a little bit. And, um, and, and the higher equity markets uh, certainly play into that as well. Uh, now, I do think now that we're past OPEX and Q1, op, uh, Q1 OPEX, uh, there certainly could be a shift in that trend between growth and value, large cap and small cap. And today, I think you saw the beginnings of that. Now we're heading into a break. I'm ready to take your calls now at 888-99-CHART. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. Would this be an opportune time to get into annuities? Everyone's situation is different. Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. And so are their questions. And I was just calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. You get your take on Chewy. Ticker symbol L-E-C-O. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan. Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein. You know, I'm okay paying a fair price for a very good business. Steve Peasley. It's a very well-run company. And now Luke Guerrero. Even to growth is significantly higher than its competitors. Are ready to provide their unbiased answers. Each podcast is unique and you set the agenda. I will. Hey, hi, Steve. I'm 24-7, rain or shine, InvestTalk is made better by the power of you. Call 888-99-CHART. Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hello, dear Justin and Luke. First of all, this is Paulo from Gettysburg, Maryland, calling all my prayers and best wishes go to Steve and his family and his friends. I learned a lot from his wisdoms, and I hope to hear him. Again, sound and well. I have a question for you guys. On a stock tracking platform, I can analyze my performance of my portfolio and it shows me the internal rate of return for the portfolio, which was excellent compared to the nominal performance last year. So I'm not so sure if I understand this measurement uh, right. So could you please explain this indicator and if it's a good measure to track one's portfolio's performance. I appreciate all the work you guys do and all the good work you do and looking forward to hearing the answer on the podcast. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, thank you for the question. And, and I know that it means, and Justin can attest to this as well, a lot to Steve to hear from, from all you listeners out there um, in this time. 
So in terms of internal rate of return, generally speaking, internal rate of return can be thought of as the annualized effective compound rate uh, that can be expected for an investment or a project. So I think primarily IRR is used in when you look at private equity investments or capital budgeting, and it tells you what is that rate of return required to essentially get you positive uh, net present value out of a project. I'm not sure given what I don't really know what platform you're using, how they specifically use IRR uh, or internal rate of return, but generally it's going to be the effective compound rate of that portfolio. Do you have anything to, to add there, Justin? Yeah, I, the what's probably trying to give you a better sense of is what your returns are when you account for cash flows. Are you putting money in? Are you taking money out? And that's usually what uh, these platforms tend to use IRR for because those cash flows can kind of skew the overall returns when you do have uh, cash flows uh, in and out. And that can mean for somebody who's sounds like this caller was younger, maybe he's putting money in regularly and what that uh, what that does to that total return calculation or IRR calculation uh, for somebody in the re in retirement years, it might be taking money out. And that's important to uh, understand as well. So uh, good thing they're using IRR. I think it's a, it's a good measurement for that. Uh, but you know, each platform kind of has its own idiosyncrasies on how they handle uh, the return calculations. But IRR is kind of industry standard there. All right. Thanks for the call. Now let's squeeze in another caller question from 888-99-CHART. Hello, we'd love to get your opinion on AutoZone. The ticker symbol is A-Z-O. I would like to get your opinion on evaluation and how future growth of electric vehicles will affect the stock. Thank you. All right, looking at AutoZone, A-Z-O is the symbol. And this is one of those names where people get stick sticker shock. It's currently trading at $2,771 per share at the close. And that sounds expensive, but if you look at it based on earnings this year, expect to be $165.83, you know, it's not nearly as expensive as that looks, about a 18 times multiple, which for a company this consistent and this strong, uh, I don't necessarily think that is out of line. I wouldn't say it's cheap, but uh, it's not expensive either. Uh, what do you think, Luke? And do you think EVs are going to have a large impact here? Well, you know, I think that primarily AutoZone gets its money from distribution of automotive replacement parts, right? And I think over the past 15 years, uh, there's certainly been a lot of advancements that have prolonged vehicles. And certainly for the inconvenience factor, if you will, in terms of driving an electric vehicle, which may force consumers to not want to purchase a new car 10 years from now, for example, when there may be some mandates in your state that a new car has to be an EV. To me, that would seem like there would be more business opportunities for AutoZone to maintain those older uh, vehicles that consumers may want to hold on to. So I think mm -hmm. given the EV framework uh, over the next 15 years, this actually may be a benefit for AutoZone. Yeah, yeah, I think long term, you're right. Uh, I think short term, there may be some issues because the va one of the reasons why I've earned a lot of money recently is because the value of used cars was so high, it was so expensive to get it to replace your car. Now those used car prices are going coming down along with uh, traditional uh, new cars. And so I think there could be headwind in the near term, but it's a good business at a fair price right now. Now we're heading to a break. So give us a call now at 888-99-CHART. 
Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. How they get there and when they get there, that depends on many variables. The more you learn about how the market works, the better your chances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Justin. Luke, this is Roger from the Bay Area. Long-time listener of the show. Thanks for everything that you do for listeners. I was looking at two stocks, Intercontinental Exchange, ticker symbol ICE, and NASDAQ, ticker symbol NDAQ. Wanted to know your opinion on the long-term prospects of these. And if you had to pick one of these, which one would that be? Uh, we'll be looking out for the answer on the show. Thank you. All right, looking at two pretty similar names, non-bank financials that are in the exchange business, Intercontinental Exchange, as well as the NASDAQ. Uh, Luke, I'm seeing that the ICE, Intercontinental Exchange, has much better growth and trading at a little bit, actually a little bit higher multiple. Uh, but to me, it seems like that growth is worth worth it compared to NASDAQ. Are you, what, are you, what are your thoughts between the two? Similar names, obviously, right? Yeah, I would tend to agree. I think that the, the price to book value, at least from that perspective, ICE actually is trading at a lower multiple mm -hmm. um, and it's trading at a lower multiple with better margins. Mm. Um, I think that this also hints at the theme that I think we've talked about on the show before, especially in the wake of the, of the regional banking crisis, which is a great way to invest in the financial sector is to invest in the backbone of the financial sector, these mm -hmm. exchanges being, being great prospects. So I think if it were up to me, I would probably choose ICE between NDAQ. I like, I like that one more. I agree. Even though NASDAQ is a little bit better dividend, uh, the strength of the business in ICE looks a bit better. Now, we fixed, we fixed our technical difficulties, but we are heading into a quick break. So give us a call now at 888-99-CHART. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication, and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck. 
because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Now, our main focus point today concerns this topic about mean reversion and how that interplays with asset class performance. And we know that investors like to jump on trends and many extrapolate what has happened over the past three to five years. And they think that's what the next three to five years will be. But the numbers tell a different story. And I really love this data set here because what it talks about is uh, going back to 2019 and looking at the previous five years performance compared to the last 40 years performance. And basically saying when that asset class is underperforming over the past five years compared to its you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 year average performance numbers, it's likely going to mean revert. And then if you look four years on, so four years post the end of 2019, you're getting a, a picture that tells you a lot about how these things can tend to mean revert. Now, asset classes like large cap value, small cap value, uh, small caps in general, they all pretty much mean reverted, meaning that going into 2019, a lot of them had pretty subpar five-year annualized performance rates, anywhere from slightly negative to about 5%. And then you look at the last four years, and what you can see is pretty much all of them have outperformed their, their, their past five years. For example, small cap value was up 2.6%. Annualized going into 2000, at the end of 2019, and it's gone up 13% annualized since then. Small caps in general were up five, and now it's up over 10. And pretty much all the other asset classes, from gold to master limited partnerships, that was a big one. It was down 8.6% annualized going into 2019 or 2020, excuse me. And now it has been up over 20% over the last four years as we close this year. Gold, same thing. It was about flat the five years uh, through 2019, and the last four years is up about 8% annualized. So, Luke, what can investors take from this data set in your mind? Yeah, I think you know <clears throat> the first thing that strikes me is I think Warren Buffett said it that in the in the short term the market's a voting machine in the long term it's a weighing machine, mm -hmm. and I think that that rings true with the concept of mean reversion. You can have short stints of underperformance, outperformance, but the fundamentals that drive historical returns of different types of asset classes still remain true. Mm -hmm. And so mean reversion is a good way to see that, okay, if these asset classes underperformed in the short term, maybe now is a good time, given the relative valuation to the overall market, for me to try and allocate a little bit more there and vice versa without performance. Yeah, having that long, long-term perspective of the returns of various asset classes is extremely important. Because as you said, Luke, there are certain drivers and it's their characteristics of those companies within the asset class or uh, the the general long-term correlation to certain things like, you know, what is gold's long-term correlation that's typically to uh, the underlying currency that you 
that you index that to, um, as well as uh, a certain level of, of uh, you know, mining growth that, that tends to happen over long periods of time. So, you know, the, it's very important to have that perspective because so many people, I see this a lot in the four, when someone has a 401k, how many people that don't know much about markets, they get a 401k, they, you get a list of ticker symbols, mutual funds that those employees can buy. And they look, which, which did the best over the last three, five, 10 years. And they just pick the highest yielding ones. And could that work? Yeah, could. But the odds are typically against that actually being the best way to invest. But the average worker is good at what they do. They're good at their particular skill set they were trained on, whether that's marketing, whether that's sales, whether that's uh, whatever, engineering, whatever it is, it's very different than investing. And so um, that's the standard human nature is to chase those returns, not just over a one-year uh, time frame, which we talk many times about how that tends to be a very, very poor way of looking at what's going to perform in the following year. Uh, but even over a three to five year time frame, uh, that mean reversion does tend to happen. Now, in this case, the only area that didn't have a major mean reversion was actually large cap stocks and large cap growth. Those actually outperformed over the last four years, uh, their performance of the previous five, as well as uh, the previous 20 years. So yeah, but but even the 20-year number, you can actually look at this. Going to 2019, large cap growth was only up 6%. Why? Because you actually look at uh, you know where valuations were in 99, and it shows you how poorly they, re they returned. And when you buy things at very, very high prices, then that mean reversion can happen the other way as well. And you still see that today where valuations remain fairly rich, for those large cap names, even though they didn't have that mean reversion uh, over the past four years. Now let's pivot back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a call that came in earlier on 888-99 chart. Hi, Steve and Justin. I was wondering with a Roth IRA or a regular IRA, if you buy MLPs, do you still have to deal with K-1s? Or do K-1s not apply if it's in an IRA tax deferred account? Thanks so much for answering my question. Yes, this is a very important aspect to understand when you're investing in, in masculine partnerships is that in tax deferred accounts, if you earn, I believe it's over $1,000 in income in any given year, you actually have to, you actually have to file a separate tax return. It's not fun. There, 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 there are complications with it. Let's just say that. So you do not want to really own K-1s. Any, any partnership, and there are more than just limited partnerships that, that, are, that are out there traded in the marketplace or master limited partnerships. There are other types of partnerships too. So anything that gets a K-1, you want to avoid having in any tax-deferred account like an IRA or a Roth IRA. Now, if you can stay below those distribution limits, then maybe it's okay um, if your account's small enough. But generally, you want to uh, stay away from that. I believe it's $1,000 a year. Don't quote me on that. I have to do, my, do your own research on that. But I, I, last time I checked, yeah, anything above $1,000 is subject to tax, even if the securities are held in a retirement account. There you go. Yeah, just found it. So 
very important to consider when buying MLPs. Now, Luke, let's talk a bit about the fact that the market hit an all-time high, the S&P did, on Friday, up about 35%, 35% since the bottom in October of 2022. Sentiment was really, really bad back then. I remember that talking to listeners uh, and nobody wanted to get exposure to equities. Uh, and that was obviously a bad move because since then, inflation has continued to ebb and the Fed has since pivoted dovishly. And if you go back in history, this is not unusual. Bull markets are 85% of market history over the last 73 years, since 1950. Um, so, and, and in times where you set a new all-time high for the first time in over one year, the average forward-looking return over the next 12 months is 13.9% compared to the average S&P 500 return of only 7.5% since 1928. So is this telling us that people should be more excited to be in the market than bearish? Maybe, <laughs> in short. You know, if you look at the... It, I, as you know, have a problem with looking at market performance as the performance of the S&P 500, and here's why. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the index that, that generally will tell you about the health of an economy, health of the U.S. economy, is really how well small caps are doing. Mm -hmm. And small caps, the Russell 2000, is not anywhere near an all-time high. Mm -hmm. The uh, uh, S&P 500 equal weight index is slightly below its all-time high, about 10 points below its all-time high. Mm -hmm. um, so not to diminish... Uh, the rally that we've had over the past several months, a uh, couple quarters. But, you know, I think that, that we can't get ahead of ourselves and that this rally until it widens out, which, which I do expect it to do this year, mm -hmm. uh, until it widens out, there are some idiosyncratic risks within the market because it's being floated by one theme amongst so few companies. Yeah, you're talking about the, the, the MAG-7, and that's certainly been driving most of the returns. Now, the positive when it comes to your, your discussion about the market widening out, that, that has widened out since the recent bottom in the fall, this last fall, and small caps have been outperforming. But this year, they're underperforming a little bit. But this trend is still higher in small caps compared to large caps. So small caps do are continuing to outperform since that market recent market bottom. So I think that's something of note in today. Small caps, as we discussed, did outperform. But if you do go look at, say, the Russell 3000, that has not made new highs, as well as the NYSE, which is a widely followed index, about 2,500 names, that also has not hit new highs. Uh, those highs were back in the beginning of 2022. So uh, both both of those indices, I think, will would need some confirmation of the S and P making new highs, uh, and I think you still, I, I do think you still have to be generally bullish. Doesn't mean you have to be bullish on the same names that drove us here, and it could be just widening out of of those names that are starting to outperform small caps, uh, industrial starting to outperform, um, financial starting to outperform. 
So that'll be uh, interesting to watch as we go through this earnings season. We still have a lot of those, mag, I think every one of those MAG7 names still having to report earnings, and that will have a large impact on not just what the market sees for those total earnings uh, for 2023, but also their projections for earnings in 2024. Now, let's play another question from the Best Talk listener line, and this one coming from Nebraska, and he wants to talk about home builders. Hi, Justin. This is Nick out in Nebraska. I was looking at some home builder companies, and it seems to me that, you know, even though they've run up quite a bit lately, they seem really cheap as far as the PE and the forward PE, and I was wondering if you could explain that. They seem to be anywhere from about 8 to 10 forward PE to me, that just seems so cheap. Any thoughts you can give are much appreciated. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, their earnings have moved up pretty dramatically. I'll just use Pulte. It's one of the largest home builders out there. 42 markets in 24 different states, about a $24 billion market cap. And earnings pre-pandemic were at $3.63. And this year, this was make $11.44. That's down 1% from expected earnings for last year. And revenue growth has slowed from the mid-teens to about 3%. So I think what you're seeing here is a slowing of earnings. The housing market affordability continues to be stretched in many areas, but people still have jobs and supply of homes generally uh, are, are relatively low and they tend to be the marginal supplier of new homes. And they're still able to uh, charge fairly high prices because there aren't a lot of options for those that still do want to buy, that have jobs, that have a down payment. They haven't gone away completely. They just, they're just a lot less than they were uh, a couple of years ago. And so with the mortgage lockdown situation, people handcuffed to their 3% mortgage, mortgage rates, there just isn't a lot of existing supply out there. So uh, the technicals look fine. I look at like the ITB, which is the iShares US Home Construction ETF. That's the best kind of general proxy for the home builders. And that's been consolidating and actually at new highs today. So I don't know, Luke, do you, do you think that despite the run that it's worth picking them up at these relatively cheap prices based on today's earnings? Yeah, I mean, it, it is relatively cheap. I will point out, though, that, you know, Pulte Group is trading at a 9.2 price to earnings on a, on a next 12 months basis. It's, it's five-year average is 7.4. It's not too overly valued. Mm-hmm. But like many things, I think that... <laughs> That this uh, this sector specifically is very tied to the health of the economy, and so long as the overall economy and the labor market stays tight enough that people have disposable incomes and people are looking to buy homes, especially coming into uh, a rate cutting cycle, uh, this could be a good opportunity to to pick up some of these home builders who could have some some room to run. Yeah, I, I don't see them reversing anytime soon. Soon, um, as you said, they're they're going to be tied to the overall economy. If the housing market, if the jobs market does weaken, uh, that could start to break some of these names because uh, if people have more fear of them lose them losing jobs, they're not going to go out there and, and buy a home. And so you might have that next stair step down in home demand with high prices, with high mortgage rates. And then the third pillar is that jobs market. And if that falls as well, um, that could that could really hurt these names. So they're, they're just very cyclical. So they do tend to trade at low P ratios. So don't expect them to trade at a 20 times multiple. That's just not the, the way these things trade. 
Now, on the next Invest Talk, we'll discuss this topic. With a 529 plan, you have investment options. And we'll discuss how to take advantage of them for higher education costs. That story tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein with Luke Guerrero, and we're ready to take your calls at 888-99-CHART. Invest Talk is always made better when our listeners contribute their questions. So tell your friends and family members they can interact in real time with Steve Peasley and Justin Klein during the Invest Talk live stream program between 4 and 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Or they can leave their questions anytime 24 7 in the Invest Talk voice bank. 888 99 chart. So let's talk to Bill in Northern California looking at Equinix. How you doing, Bill? Yeah, um, not too bad, thank you. Good to hear you guys again. And, Appreciate uh, it. Yeah, I held this company, I had a couple uh, during, you know, the 2022 when it was low, 600s, and uh, I just sold it recently at like 812. I kind of like the company. I, I wanted to take some little gains. And I thought maybe, you know, we'll get a break and the pullback. This doesn't seem like a super hot stock, but I like it in general. I like the category it's in, and they do pay a fairly decent dividend. But I wonder, can you analyze their um, financials? Give me a little perspective on that and what you think of it overall. Well, for everyone else out there, Equinix is a REIT, a data center REIT, and they operate 248 data centers in 71 markets. About 46% of revenue comes from the Americas, 32% in Europe, the Middle East and Africa, and 22% in the Asian region. And they're one of the largest out there, $75 billion market cap, 2.1% dividend yield. But remember, this is a REIT, so that's that's taxable at your ordinary income tax rate if it's in a taxable account. So, you know, not a amazing, uh, not an amazing uh, yield there, but uh, it's a good performer. Funds for operation back in 2016 was $15.15. This year expected to be $34.45, and it's pretty much increased it every single year. So, I like that consistent performance, Luke. Uh, what are you seeing on the valuation side? Yeah, well, I'm seeing, uh, certainly going back to the balance sheet, they have a good amount of cash on hand, about $2 billion at the end of 2022. I'm not sure what they have at the end of the last year. But given their debt load, I mean, their their cash flow can handle that pretty pretty well as well. And you know, the, their properties are pretty well diversified. I'm seeing them in, in a lot of major cities within the U.S. And, and around the world as well. I think overall, it's, like you said, a very well-run company, a good performer. And I like the, the segment that it's in within the REIT space. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's cheap. That's for sure. You're talking about 25 times, roughly, forward-looking earnings or funds for operation. That's a bit rich for for my blood. Uh, if you look at its history, price-sales ratio right now is about 9.4. That uh, That's pretty high. Over the last decade or so, that tends to be closer to 7. So I think that's uh, a bit expensive on that front. Um, so it's one of those names that you want to have on your watch list to buy. Uh, but after this recent run up from a low in the fall of around 800 and or sorry, $680. Now it's at, uh, around 802. 
I, I think it's a, a bit rich, um, to be honest with you. So I wouldn't be in a big hurry to pick it up at these prices, but I like that it's on your watch list. Thanks for the call. Now, lastly, let's talk about the consumer, Luke. And by a lot of different measures, the default rates from consumers are rising. Uh, but what's interesting here, if you dig into the details of companies like Ally Financial and their earnings report, they talk a lot about how a lot of the defaults are coming from those consumers that didn't have access to credit before. And then once there was there was so much government stimulus and there's a lot of forbearance on loans and it allowed the measures of credit credit worthiness for a lot of people improve and what that did was it allowed them to access more credit and now they're defaulting on it so the question is is this was just as bad lending practices that were overlooking kind of one-time idiosyncrasies of stimuli as well as uh, forbearance on other types of loans? Um, or is this a, is this telling? Is this the start of a broader uh, credit crisis among consumers? Yeah, it doesn't seem to be as of right now the start of a broader credit crisis. Some might call this a mean reversion in and of itself and that some people that were uncreditworthy uh, before the pandemic were able to shore up their finances, get some credit, and they're now uncreditworthy again. Uh, but I don't think at this point, it certainly may say things about the earnings potential of the company of, of specific companies, but the broader consumer doesn't seem to be in much of a worse spot than it was before the pandemic. Yeah, and that's what the big banks are saying. And they have a pretty strong insight into how consumers are are feeling, how they're spending, and what their balance sheet looks like. Now, I'm Justin Klein with Luke Carrero, and this completes another Invest Talk program. We thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. Thank you.